Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Patch and Ferrets is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Okay, recording here on Thursday afternoon. Just a couple of housekeeping notes before we get to a marathon. And I mean marathon episode with Phil Perry, who just wanted to keep going. Uh, talking to the Patriots, obviously, free agency fits, predictions about what they're going to do in free agency. And then we get into a little bit of draft talk with the mailbag. We got some news. The Pat's Interference Podcast is now brought to you by FanDuel. Yes, FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of CLNS Media Network. You can sign up now through this podcast right in the link in our podcast website, iTunes or Spotify. Then go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. If you're in Massachusetts, this is day one. You're going to get plenty of ads. Um, trust me, FanDuel is the spot to go to if you want to wager on March Madness coming up with the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, or later odds for the NFL draft, which we will cover here with our old friend, Mike Mnanski, who of course has a huge uh, gambling background and a lot of different odds. So if you want to go anywhere, again, that's FanDuel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. Other than that, coming up, a two-person draft between Phil and I that went way longer than either of us expected, picking the Patriots' best targets for agency. We tried to be as reasonable as we could. Things went off the rails uh, about halfway through, and then we kind of came back to a place of reason before Phil took, uh, let's just say, a high-profile running back that's never coming to New England. But you do what you can, so hang around, listen. Our predictions are after that, and then your mailbag questions. If you have any more questions, always feel free to tweet them at me, at underscore Andrew Callahan. As I mentioned last episode, every rating, every review, good or bad, helps us get better and helps promote the show, which has really grown. We're coming up with a one-year anniversary, which uh feeling like a proud papa. But anyway... Here comes Phil Perry, NFL Patriots, free agency preview. Again, that's FanDuel.com, the new sponsor of the Pats Interference Podcast. So a heads up right off the top, we might make show history today as we bring on an old friend of the pod. I think the third or fourth episode, Phil came on. Phil Perry, of course, NBC Sports Boston to talk the draft. We were deciding, is this draft really as bad as everyone thinks? And about a month or two or three, Phil and his wife, Wit got pregnant and that child might come today it might come in 10 minutes phil is ready to leave this podcast and welcome in child number three thank you first of all for making time for us phil you don't have a go bag but you sound ready to go anyway in case uh, you get the call ready to go but let's let's be clear we finished the podcast andrew we finished we finished what we start here okay so baby okay. no baby like you know he'll be fine he'll be okay we're going to get this is very important here. We're going to get this done. No, I, I appreciate it. We're we should be good. I don't think there are going to be any emergencies uh, today. But had we scheduled this for tomorrow? Who knows? 
who knows? So I'm glad we're getting it in now while we can. All right. Well, I will be rooting for history. We're also making history here today on a much less important note. But big exciting news. This episode of the Pats Interference Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner now of CLNS Media Network. Um, you can go to FanDuel and we'll connect to you a little bit later as far as how to make a little bit of money. Um, but right off the top, Phil and I, we are going shopping. Free agency for the Patriots. It starts next week. Here we go. And there's been a lot of talk. Like we've done TV together. You've, of course, written up a bunch of previews. You're going back and forth between the draft as I am. What we're going to do is have a draft and free agency at the same time. Five picks apiece going back and forth. The players we want the Patriots to target the most. Two predictions, then afterward of what we think exactly what will happen with the Patriots and end with a mailbag or a baby. We'll just have to wait and see and find out. All I right. So it. I love it. I have, uh, a, qu- I have, a, I have a rules question right off the top. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. I'm assuming Patriots' own free agents can be and will be included in this draft that we're about to have here. So the email said external, but I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. flexible. Because okay. listen, listen here uh, uh, on our side of the uh, organization here, the front office, we're not we're not really up on the fine print, and that's fine. We will eliminate all those guys off our board, and we've still got plenty more names to pick from. So I'm okay with that. I just wanted to clarify before we started. That's all right. We uh, my thought was to go back after and insert them and say where would you've had them ranked relative to you know let's say uh, Jamel Dean who might be near the top of my board, which. It's not necessarily a giveaway because you've got your own big board. You're prepared. You're Phil Perry. You have everything down. But uh, it'll be interesting because John Jones, of course, spoke yesterday to a couple of reporters, also on your show, one-on-one. It is a guy who spoke to me in a way that undercut his entire leverage and is giving away at the negotiating table perhaps a million or two dollars saying, it's hard to say no to New England. I want to stay here. Even if you feel that way, Jonathan, maybe he's just a better guy than I am. You just don't say it out loud, but here he is saying he wants to be on. And I have to assume that he's on your big board and I'll buy me some time to insert him here in mind. Yes. Yeah, he he's on my board and uh, you're, I think he's, he's just an honest guy. You know, he's a stand up guy. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a solid human being. I think that's why the Patriots like him so much. Uh, I think they will have plenty of interest, you know, who knows what happens if he ends up getting to the market. But um, yeah, it was interesting. He's just very open about the fact that he loves it here, which you, To your point, you don't hear very often from free agents. So we'll see how that goes for John here soon. All right. Let's have a draft, shall we? So the number one pick, you have a team name. Do you want a team name? Phil's free agents with a PH? Uh, Yes. Let's do that. PH, free agents. Phil's free agents. Love it. I'm going to go with my first pick. I'm going to go at the tackle position because the Patriots need somebody that can help them play and play tomorrow. And I'm not sure – that person is in the draft outside Ooh. of Peter Skaronsky. And so if he's not there, I don't want to, I don't want to be backed into a corner on draft weekend. I want to be able to play a game going into the draft. I want to have my options open going into the draft so I can pick the best player. And I don't feel like I have to go with one position or another. So I'm going to go tackle and I'm going to go Mike McGlinchey. I just feel like uh, Orlando Brown is going to be uh, too expensive for the Patriots. I don't think they are going to pursue him hotly this off season. Uh, and then that next tier is Jawan Taylor. It's Mike McGlinchey. It's Caleb McGarry. And I think they all have their, their positive traits. And maybe you'll end up picking one on your board here. But to me, McGlinchey feels like the best fit. He feels like a tackle from the Bill O'Brien era Patriots. Honestly, hmm. Andrew, when you think of Nate Solder, you think of Sebastian Vollmer, guys that are good in space, guys that would be good in the, in the screen game. I think McGlinchey's a pretty good athlete. I know he's had some, uh, 
some injury issues over the years. Um, and I think, you know, he's probably not the most dominating run blocker of the group, which is something that the Patriots usually like to have at right tackle, but I think he's good enough. And I think you can help him uh, in certain situations, you know, whether it's what I've heard is he's probably not as powerful as he used to be. And so, you know, how does that impact him in pass protection? How does it impact him in the run game? It's, it's going to be a different run game probably that he had in San Francisco versus what he has here in new England. I think these are all important questions and they're all legitimate, but I think he, he gives you a starting caliber tackle and that that's what I want. And uh, I think I like him the best of that, that trio that I mentioned. So he's my first pick here. So two stories really quickly, last week at the combine, I am asking everyone as much about Patriots Intel as Mike McGlinchey, because I think you can go back to some like terrible B roll or, or shot of me at NBC talking about Mike McGlinchey is like free agent target. And everyone's going, you can't name a receiver or a corner who cares about the offensive tackle. I'm like, I just watched the Patriots offensive line play 17 games. I want to write tackle, but the feedback I got at the combine was he just, he didn't improve as much, which I think might come with the top 10 pick, you know, expectations of you're going to be a dominant player and his run blocking graded out really well places like PFF and then you go with the quick Google search and I'm like, is it really as bad as everyone saying like, yeah, he would be fine to me inside the league. His uh, I would not advise his family to Google Mike McGlinchey as of late when it comes to 49er fans, they were all over him for his pass protection issues. And you look at their last two games, nine pressures allowed against the Eagles and Cowboys in their last two playoff appearances. And to me, when I hear Matt Gross say last week, the Patriots.com saying first and foremost, you got to pass protect. I, I couldn't pick him. So I am here, the Houston Texans, sitting at number two, hoping you, Phil Perry, you know, trade, get the pick traded from the Bears, go get Anthony Richardson. I want Bryce Young all along. I'm very happy that you took Anthony Richardson because I'm going Juwan Taylor. And okay. the second part of this is last night at the, the Celtics game at halftime, I'm reviewing this fictitious big board and really struggling because of all that feedback and everything that happened. Juwan Taylor sucks at run blocking. And this mm-hmm. is sucks, and of course, in the you know, top tier NFL athletes, top 1% in the entire world. But the last graded tackle in run blocking, according to PFF, had a negatively graded run blocking play on one out of every five snaps. So I'm actually supposed to be telling us why you want this guy. Yeah, well, I'm bringing I'm bringing it back. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he goes, I'm going, do I want one out of every five running plays to be kind of an issue? Or do I want Mike McGlinchey, whose pressure rate was about 5%? You're going, 20%, Andrew, math lesson, is four times greater than 5%. But the weight of those pass plays, third downs, red zone, you know, fringe red zone, is it going to be a field goal or a touchdown? I can't have my protection so screwed up with Mike McGlinchey. So I want Juwan Taylor because he is the opposite of Mike McGlinchey, and he pass protects exceptionally. 2.3% pressure rate. Uh, He is also right tackle. There are just more ways for me to get around. So I will take Juwan Taylor, even though I roasted him for a full minute there and take him from Jacksonville, 26. <laughs> His market's supposed to be $17, $18 million. He might be more expensive or as expensive as Orlando Brown, and that could scare the Patriots away. It does not It does not scare me away. That would be crazy if he gets as much money as Orlando Brown, but I get it because teams value the passing game and what you're able to do there. I just, I guess when I look at that trio, you know, they're all on different planes in terms of their run blocking where I would have Taylor last, then I would have McGlinchey second of that trio. And then I would have McGarry first, but I think McGarry also might be of that trio. He's probably the, the um, he's probably the least dependable, at least as far as what we know about him at this point, 
as a pass protector. So I guess I went with sort of like the middling option. I think McG- I think McGlinchey is kind of he's a little bit better of a, a pass protector in my opinion than McGarry, but he's not quite as good as Taylor. But he's going to give you more in the running game than Taylor will. So I kind of settle on. To me, the guy is more of kind of the all around player of that of that trio of free agents that I would kind of slot in behind Orlando Brown when it comes to cost. Right. Yeah. There's definitely that second tier below Orlando Brown, who's also, I think, just part of the market is you're you get inflated in the public view. Like he's never really been a top 10 tackle solidly for multiple years in his career. Am I missing something? No, no. Yeah. I, I mean, I just I don't. It's scary to me because he's a guy who who wants to play left tackle, whose best position is right tackle. He's a he's a giant man. And so there are certain schemes he's he's probably not going to fit because as big as he is, he's not like, you know, Trent Brown's a mountain of a human being too, but when he's at his best, he can move. I mean, those right. some of those zone plays that they ran against, against the, the Packers in particular, I mean, he's out on the move and he is swallowing up edge defender Preston Smith in Green Bay. And it's just like, my God, this guy, when he's right, he's, he's unstoppable. I just don't view Orlando Brown in the same way, um, even though I'm sure somebody's going to pay him something close to 20 million bucks a year. Yeah. He, he wasn't even on my board and not in the instance of the Patriots get him. That's a bad thing. I'm just with you. I don't think they're going to pay for that amount. So looking at that second tier, I also agree in that, you know, Taylor's the best pass protector, go down to McGlinchey, then to McGarry, who's also coming off of a career year. So are you just kind of cutting him, you know, are you buying high and he's going to dip back down as a career, better run blocker. And then you flip that order, McGarry McGlinchey can, can fight it out for the top spot. But in the run blocking department, Taylor's at the bottom. So I'm just betting on the premium skill. The other thing that confused me about Taylor, Juwan Taylor from Jacksonville versus Michael Clinchy is Taylor coming out was regarded as a road grader. It was like, this dude needs some refinement, watch his weight, but he can just pick people up and move them. Like you're just talking about Trent Brown. So I'm hoping with my first pick that the Patriots get a little bit more out of him, but ultimately solve the pass protection issues, which were just horrendous there for most of last season. Yeah, I just I think there's part of Bill that is just always going to want a, a a real run blocker at that position. It's just it's not it goes beyond scheme and efficiency. It 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 cuts at the the fabric of what your your offense is made out of. You know, in short yardage, can we can we feel comfortable running behind this guy? You know, Trent Brown. It's not like we can depend on him staying on the field at all times. So if all of a sudden we're in a situation where it's Jawan Taylor and some, you know unknown rookie swing tackle you know maybe it's Connor McDermott you know if it's Connor yeah. McDermott and Juwan Taylor is your tackles do you feel like you can run behind those guys now McGlinchey has a lot of the same sort of stay on the field types of issues that that somebody like Trent Brown I think would have and th- that may be what ends up deciding this thing between you know if they are trying to pick from this group of tackles like who would we like best well McGlinchey's had an injury history that that may scare them away so that, that could be a factor here too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, no perfect options. And I think and have said they will sign someone and draft a tackle. Are you of that that thinking like day one, day two? I think that's smart. Yeah, I, I would, like I said, I would sign a guy because I don't think, you know, again, this tier of tackles, they'll be expensive, but I don't think they're going to be 
you know, I talked to a couple people last week um, that suggested when I brought up the Tehran Armstead contract that he just signed with Miami, you know, thinking, okay, is that a decent comp? You know, he's, he's not, uh, he's not Tyron Smith in his prime. He's not Trent Williams, but he's a pretty good player. And that guy, I think his, his average annual value is 15 and a half a year or 16 a year. And the people that I spoke to at least, and we'll see once, you know, the legal tampering period opens up here where these guys will slot. But the, the indications I was given were don't expect it to get that high for this mm. group of tackles. They're just not that good. They, you know, they're, they're, they're fine and they're starting caliber, but they're not really even at Teron Armstead's level and Teron Armstead talk about a guy who's dealt with a lot of injury. So uh, if you only have to pay 13, 14 million a year for one of these guys, go get one. And then, yeah, draft a draft a tackle in the, in the second round. If uh, you feel like there's somebody there with some promise that could develop, maybe it's somebody who's not ready to play right away, but has the, the physical tools that you're looking for there. So uh, I like that plan by you. Yeah. All right. Uh, last time on the offensive tackles, and then we'll move on because we need to make more picks and talk about more exciting positions. Like I was told back in January when I first brought up Mike McGlinchey, who, to be clear, I would be very happy with if I'm the Patriots and he comes here and you get a four-year deal, a guy entering his prime, you know, as you mentioned, good run blocker. And you can help in pass protection. It's just against those elite lines. And also having a stretch of like three games with six sacks allowed uh, could be an issue. Is It's interesting that the numbers you heard, I mean, part of these are projections from PFF or spot track or, you know, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN had that Juwan Taylor figure at 17 to 18. That could be agent speak. When you consider the cap went out, went up about 10 to 11%. And you take Toronto Armstead's, you know, 15 and a half million would be about 17 now in the current market. Right. Even if you bring that down to like last year accounting for inflation, these guys should fetch 15 to 16. My guess is, without knowing for sure, that's probably where the Patriots would top out at. Um, mm. And if it goes higher, maybe that's when you lose them. But it sounds like to you that they'll have a chance to at least grab one in that. In that yeah. You know what? I think what, what's interesting is when you talk to league people, they they do have, you know, and rightly or wrongly, I think it's hard for them to adjust when the cap adjusts the way that it is it is climbing every year. You know, you you just have an idea in your head. Well, if player X is making 15 million and this guy's not player X, how can we also give him 15 million? It's like, well, when he got that, the percentage of the cap was right. what it was. And now it's different. And so inflation and everything value, it changes. And I think it, it takes some time for, for front offices and high ranking people in front offices to look at, at those numbers and say, okay, but now how do we adjust it based on where the game has gone financially and um, and so maybe that projection that that I got is a little low and maybe because there are teams, uh, you know, maybe the teams I'm not talking to, they are more up to date and their numbers are have advanced as the cap has grown. And suddenly we find out that the market for these players is much higher than uh, than the indications that I've gotten. It doesn't mean that's not how, you know, certain teams are thinking. It just means maybe they need to update their thinking depending on uh depending on where this ends up financially for these guys. And the other lesson is it just takes one, right? One team to make a crazy exactly. offer, you know, anything like we saw that in a, in a much different example with Deshaun Watson, Christian Kirk in the receiver market last year, like everyone can have their projections and their sources, but you, you don't talk to the one person who's going to change the entire complexion of that position and free agency. Um, then you don't know like the rest of us. So let's hang in there. All right. right. Uh, your number two pick behind Mike McGlinchey is boy. And this is where I feel like my team is just going to start to run away from yours. I I, mean, I am going to go with Jamel Dean. It's a good pick. Cornerback out of Tampa Bay, 6'1", 206, rocked up, 
press man corner on the outside, like great fit for them and gives the Patriots something they don't have right now, which is size at that corner position. Uh, you know, I would even look at somebody like, you know, listeners may be saying, well, what about Jalen Mills? You know, he's got some size, you know, isn't that why we had him? Jalen Mills, the way last season ended for me, um, raised an eyebrow to miss that many games with a, with a soft tissue injury when your team's desperate for corner help and you've got Marcus Jones, who's doing everything. He's, he's on his feet all games. Some of these games, because he's on the sideline waiting to see if he's going to be called in to play offense. We stand behind the offensive coaching staff. Then he's out there for special teams and he's playing every snap as a starting corner. Like these guys and some of them, obviously very young players are grinding to make sure that they're staying on the field. I guess, Jack Jones, notwithstanding, who ends up getting suspended for the season finale. <laughs> but, you know, you look at that and and you have Jalen Mills, who, God bless him, I'm not saying he's not he's not trying to get back on the field, but, you know, soft tissue injuries are what they are, and some of them can linger. We know that, but a lot of it is is how are you um, – how smart are you being about coming back? You know, how much can you withstand? I just think for the season to end the way it did – it doesn't make me feel any more uh, solidly about Jalen Mills's dependability. Um, and so I would not put his name and pen down as a starting corner next year. It, and if so, somebody like Jamel Dean is available. He's got to make a lot of money, Andrew. This is what's great about our draft is like, yeah, I can go spend money on Mike McGlinchey and yeah. now I'm going to go spend money on Jamel Dean. Like right. in reality, are they going to be able to get two players like this, this off season? I'm sure they could figure it out. Uh, but I'm not I'm not sure they would they would want to make that work financially. I don't care. It's not my money. So I'm going to go get, get him with my second pick here. And, you know, what? if the Patriots are 27th in spending over the last three years, as Bill Belichick informed all of us voluntarily at the end of his last press conference, you know what? Maybe it's time to spend a little bit on Jamel Dean and Mike McGlinchey. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I was struggling with the format of this. Do we just go? You know, pick one uh, player from tier one, tier two, tier three. How do you divide those rankings? Let's be yeah. responsible. Let's be reasonable with this. Yeah. I just said, get that out of here. Throw that out. Let's have some fun. Let's just get our targets. And on that note, Phil, because Jamel Dean's a great pick. He would have been my next pick. 6'1", 206. You talk about the comparison to Jalen Mills, also six foot tall. He has 15 pounds, probably mostly a muscle on Jalen Mills. So that's a guy who probably holds up a little bit better can play man zone opposing quarterbacks completing 51% of his passes against him. Not terrific ball skills, which is normally like number one with a bullet prerequisite for Patriot corners, but he's really, really good. So is with my second pick Tremaine Edmonds linebacker from the bills. Ooh. I am all, 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 all in on dropping Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of Bill Belichick's defense and reminding wow. all of us, including some media members who looked at Raekwon McMillan last year and be like, Oh, he's kind of fast. And that he is looks great. <laughs> hey, he looked great early in the season. I I I would I would co-sign on that feeling. Not a knock on Raekwon McMillan. It's just to say that reporters, our jobs to study this team day after day after day, have seemingly forgotten what real speed in the middle of a defense looks like because they just don't prioritize it. It hasn't been here. Even Mac Wilson glimpses here and there, and then he just goes into witness protection over the second half of the season. Edmonds is not going anywhere. He's 25. He's a two-time pro bowler, even if you don't put a whole lot of stock into that. He had two weaknesses going into last season. They were tackling and coverage. You asked the Patriots how Tremaine Edmonds is covering nowadays. When they targeted him seven times, completed three passes for 19 yards, and got one intercepted. And then ask about their tackling. Because Edmonds, 
missed one tackle, Phil, a single tackle last season at 6'3", 6'4", 250 pounds, a guy running a 4'5". The best football of his career is ahead of him. I think he's worked out the kinks as one of the youngest players in his draft class. Make him a Patriot. Put him next to Bentley. If Bentley leaves next year in free agency, here's your new 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 Mike, your new captain, your new face of the defense. Wow. I, I love this pick because we know Bill Belichick loves size at the linebacker position. You can also get fast while adding some size at that position. So this is sort of the best of both worlds. I would say it's also a smart pick on your end because even though we're not trying to be responsible with our money here he plays a position that's just not all that highly valued across the league anymore and so you're not talking about 18 19 20 million dollars a year to get a guy who's made two pro bowls whereas you would be probably with a with an offensive tackle you know so you're you're adding real talent but doing it in a sensible way i would say so i like that pick by you i i would say though first of all now, you, now you're not allowing Bill Belichick to take Iowa's Jack Campbell in the first round at pick number 14 <laughs> overall <laughs> because you know he wants to do that. Uh, 250 pounds, unbelievable athlete, tough, smart, at nobody smarter or nobody works harder than Jack Campbell. A uh, Campbell Trophy finalist, uh, the academic, academic guys. Been, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, so I, I don't like it on that end. Bill Belichick probably would hate this. You know, Elliot Wolf and uh, Matt Crow and Steve Cargog come to him with the idea of signing uh, Tremaine Edmonds. He says, <laughs> We've got our next linebacker. He's he wears number thirty-one. He plays for Iowa. I just got off the phone with Kirk Ferentz. Get out of here, guys. You see his three cone. Um, Come on, guys. Get, get, exactly. Get yeah. Um, but I do. I like that. Uh, I like that pick. But it. But it also. I didn't you think Juwan Bentley actually had like a really good year last year? I, I've never been a massive Juwan Bentley fan, but I didn't think inside linebacker was like a huge issue for them last year. No, second best player on their defense, in my opinion, in the back half of last season behind only Matt Judon. And then I think you could even make an argument. Kyle Duggar's in the mix there, but I just don't think Bentley's going to fall away to the bottom. You look at his coverage skills, the instincts, the tackling, the playmaking. Forget all the stuff he does before the snap, you know, making adjustments, everything. He was great. I just think this frees them up instead of relying on these safeties come in and around the box all the time. Like you can play traditional nickel defense you know, without having to move him on the edge where he was fine, but it was kind of a way for them to hide Bentley in man coverage. You don't have to hide anymore. You can get predictable in your calls and rep those and get better at them as opposed to having every single defense in the book with a guy like Trey Manning Edmonds because he can do everything you need him to. So I think you could have two traditional inside linebackers or two itch guys and then play with some 2D tackles. So you still have your five defensive backs, but it frees up your safeties where maybe you lose Devin McCord. Even if he comes back, you let your build peppers go. You have three safeties there. They can rotate in and out. Um, and it just allows you to do more with a guy like this in the middle of your defense, not only now, but moving forward. So it's not a knock on Bentley. It's just to say your only other inside linebacker under contract is Jelani Tavai, who, again, I'm higher than consensus on, but don't really want starting in the middle of my defense. Any thought to um, going after a veteran guy who's not as big in Levante David, who has a bunch of void years at the end of his Bucks deal? He's he's available. Any thought going there at linebacker instead? Yeah, there were a couple. Him, uh, David Long from Tennessee, obviously played with Mike Vrabel, super productive. You got your Leighton Van Der Esch's, you know, some Bobby Okariki's who are younger. I just thought if you're going to go in on this position, you know, because he could also even be your dime linebacker. Like that was an issue in Mac Wilson's just, you know, can't follow the ball simply early in the season. You have to replace him later on. Um, I just, 
I don't think they're going to go for the older player, Bobby Wagner, the same way as someone in the division they know who's ascending. And if you're going to commit to it, you know, instead of a one or two year deal to squeeze the last ends of his career out, as much as I like Levante David, get the guy who's going to be here and be a cornerstone of your defense. And I might have had the numbers wrong. I said this guy probably not going to be making 18, 19 a year. He might. It looks like Pro Football Focus has a projected four years, almost 19 million per year. And so Tom Pelissero a- had that list today of guys who are going to get more than you expect. Virtually all, if you want to cheat, Phil, and look at my big board, just pull up this list because they're all of my guys, which made me feel terrible. Like, oh, this isn't going to happen. Juwan Taylor's gone. Tremaine Edmonds, forget about that. And it's uh, he had him close to 20, which would be far outside the Patriots price range. And if you're a team like Houston or Atlanta starting over and you need a guy, a leader, playmaker, everything like he can play in whatever system you want. I think they signed him away. But um, again, we threw reasonable and responsible out the window. We did. We did. And I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to try to get us back in some ways back to center here Mm -hmm. on the reasonable scale. And I'm going to go with a heavy dude. I'm going to go with Dalvin Tomlinson Ooh. out of Minnesota. Now, the Patriots' run defense actually was not bad last year, especially when you look at, at uh, their games against more traditional running attacks. And we know there are fewer and fewer of those every year with the athletic quarterbacks coming into the game. But we know Justin Fields lit him up. Uh, Lamar Jackson lit him up on the ground. Like If you were to remove those games, and again, I'm not saying you should, but if you were to, uh, their, their yards per carry allowed was excellent. So this is not a, a screaming need for me, but I'm starting to think toward the future at this position. And this guy is, is to me, he's one of the best run defenders in football, uh, you know, regardless of position. And with Lawrence Guy getting closer to the end than the beginning, Devon Godshaw, I'll have to bring up his contract right now unless you know it off the top of your head, but I, I don't believe he's under contract for more than another couple of years. I, I would just be thinking of making this guy my long-term future at the position. I think he's, I think he's more of a true nose than Godshaw is. He was brought in and he was talked about like, like he's going to be, at least this was the impression I got that this guy's like the next Ted Washington of your defense, or he's like an Allen branch sized human being. He's, he's obviously big. He, he's not that kind of player to me. He's, he's sort of rather than a true nose, um, I see him playing over guards and being able to take on double teams, but he's not the space eater that we that we've seen here uh, in some other years. I think Tomlinson gets you a little closer to that. And in a league where you've got fewer and fewer linebackers on the field, what some of the advanced numbers would tell you is that these interior defensive linemen matter a lot because they can take some of the bodies off of those smaller linebackers at the second level or safeties at the second level you have and can really help you defend the run when you don't want to have a ton of people in the box. So to me, Dalvin Tomlinson, if they could figure out a way to do that, again, not a position that's going to really break the bank financially. um, I think he'd be a great fit here in New England. So it's interesting because A, he was not on my list. But B, I think you're right, addresses a need, and I just found Godshaw's contract. He's uh, under contract through 2024 with the guarantees that are in there. And just given his age, he should still play for the Patriots for the next two seasons. Lawrence Guy's in the mix. Christian Barmore there. Carl Davis is a free agent. So is Daniel Ekawale. They could probably bring either of those guys back in relatively cheap one or two year deals if they want. I just saw this as a position that they'll probably deal with in the draft where I have been projecting that for some big run stuffer who I will see signed off the Lions practice squad and go to Minnesota every week. and be like, oh, that's a guy at a BYU that I thought they should have taken in 19. And the guy in right. 2021 that they just never take. 
But I think, you know, to be a year ahead of schedule, where I think you could probably squeeze one more year to Lawrence Guy, who had an underrated year. But it is a position, like you said, that I think gets undervalued. People talk about that way about linebacker until you have a player like Jermaine Edmonds, who solves all these different issues at the second level for you uh, in one person, as opposed to patching them over with different schemes and safeties, whatever. Same thing with running back, which I think has finally been properly valued. And we, we've reached an equilibrium there between the league and, and the media evaluators. Because you look at players like Vita Vea, who's probably an alien. Like there's a 10% right. chance he was not actually born on Earth. <laughs> And yes. you go, why would the Bucs take a defensive tackle 13th? Well, look at the things he can do, not only just for his teammates, but that interior pressure that's so prized, ability to eat up blockers, like his instincts recognition. And you want players like that. I just don't think it's worth the investment. I'd be curious what his market is, because this is a position historically the Patriots have not spent on. Um, but am I saying I would, I would be disappointed if they signed Dalvin Tomlinson? No, but it's just... It's interesting. But they spent because, on Vince, right? Like they made yeah. Vince one of the highest paid guys at that spot. Now is Tomlinson Vince? I don't. I don't think so. You're right, though. They've they've liked to try to piece it together with the Allen branches of the world. Uh, you know, because that was a different era. Like I, I don't remember the yeah. exact time you're talking about when he was when he was holding out and finally got. The deal. Yeah, and they gave Godshaw real money. You know. Yeah, I think I, Bill would be. I think Bill would be open to it. I think baking in though the fact that they'll put Godshaw like Vince at the five technique, if you need him in a pinch to play the three and get a field, in addition to being right on the nose and play one, that's part of right. it. But right. I, but I, I hear, I hear your point. Um, all right. Well, this makes me happy because I'm taking with my third pick, James Bradbury of uh super bowl infamy, but a guy <laughs> that, you know, you, you could plug in cam Sutton here or James Bradbury. I'm just going to go with a slightly more proven experienced guy plays man coverage. He's a high end number two, still not yet 30, you might be buying high because he had his best season ever just now with the, the, the Eagles. He's a stud. He's scheme versatile. Ten picks in the last three seasons. One very bad penalty. But he owned up to it. And I think he's a guy where you have him and Jalen Mills opposite one another. You know, you're not really worried about either getting picked on. And it just unlocks so much for you to play coverage-wise. You know, man blitz, zone blitz. You know, you don't have to play too deep all the time. If Devin's still back to roaming single high, you just solidify that corner spot because they have so many smaller corners. Bradbury's about six foot tall. That's all we need here. Just a little bit bigger presence on the outside. And I think he checks every single box, even if you're only really probably getting him for a year or two. I like that. I I, I wonder though, uh, and did you take this into account? Did your front office really take a good close look at this in terms of how the numbers break down zone versus man? Do we Do we like his fit? I like his fit the way he played with the Giants and how much man coverage they had Patrick Graham the year before going to Eagles right now. They're playing a ton of quarters, which it's interesting too, depending on whether you're looking at PFF or like our good friends at Sports Info Solutions, which get a lot out of us, by the way, citing them all the time, both of us. <laughs> they, do. Yes, um, they do. But when the you know quarters coverage evolves over the course of the play, like, you know, certain calls will have a meg call, man everywhere he goes. And so it, it develops his zone in the first second. But the rest of that play is really man. And I think that's probably what partly appealed him to Philadelphia when they signed him, in addition to just be a guy who plays a premium position. So I'm, I'm long story short, okay with those numbers. Okay. Um, I like it. I like it. Listen, this is a position you had to. Like, I, I might call this a reach, but you saw Jamel Dean go mm -hmm. off the board and you had to make sure that you had that position covered. This is, this is just, this is playing the game. Now you're playing the game. You waited a little while, you got your linebacker. I you know I'm probably not going to be taking the linebacker now, uh, so that people are going to be able to look at my team after the fact and say that's where he that's where he went wrong. 
I would argue that. But but be that as it may, that's where we sit right now. I'm starting to get to this is where we're starting to get to like the fun portion of the the list because we're it's starting tough. to get pretty far down here. And I do want to keep things. I know we just said like let's just let it rain. Like I would love to go get Jesse Bates right now, right? Because Jesse Bates is your future quarterback of the defense, your future Devin McCourty. He's clearly the best safety on the market, but I think there are a few others available uh, that again, I think would be even a little bit more realistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm going to wait there and I'm going to go get just the uh, gun for hire pass rusher who is available just about every off season. It seems Yannick Ngakwe. Give me Yannick Ngakwe off the edge. I think you could use a little bit of depth there. I love Josh Uche, Matthew Judon obviously is a staple. After that on the edge, I'm not sure what you have in terms of true pressure creators. Uh, And that's what Ngakwe is. He's been pretty consistent over the course of his career. Is he what he used to be? No. Is he going to be even, you know, I know I'm saying let's get realistic here. Is he going to be a little bit expensive because (laughs) of his skill set? Probably it's going to be, you know, 10 million plus a year, but I don't think it's going to be for a long-term deal. And I think you could figure out, a way to get him in here and and give him a real role. Um, That to me would be sort of exciting. If you can get a package out there on third down that includes Judon and Gakwe and Josh Uche with Christian Barmore as maybe your lone man on the line of scrimmage, the way they used to use Trey Flowers on those sort of amoeba amoeba defenses on third down back in the day. I mean, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a, that's a great, really athletic group right there. So give me Ngakwe. So I love this because again, not on my list. And the red flag for me, which isn't to say this is a bad pick because you're right, incredibly consistent production off the edge. I think the Patriots probably undervalued that a little bit. But when Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels get to Vegas, and I'm sure the contract figured into some of this, one of their first moves was, we're going to ship you out of here. Like you're gone. You're going to Indy. (laughs) See you later. Thank you for your two seconds of time. We want Rocky Sin, who's later on my board, now not going to get picked um, because welcome in James Bradbury. I just... I do have an edge guy. I'm not going to take him here now because I've been working the phones as you were talking and there are rumblings Ooh. about Phil's going to wait on safeties. Wow. And I'm going to take one here. It is not going to be Jesse Bates. It's not even going to be Jordan Poyer because you know what? I like this avenue of let's, let's not, you know, bait all the listeners and to think all these names are realistic. Let's hit the big ones at the top. Let's move on down below. The name though, that is all too fitting because I think Bates and, and Poyer are just going to outprice them. Poyer also very smartly tweeting, I want to go to a state that doesn't take half my money and right <laughs> behind New York in terms of taxes, of course, is Massachusetts. Um, yes. Julian Love, come on down. Yes, yes. I mean, you, you told on yourself, my guy. He's, he's, uh, he's got a, he's a Why'd ball Why'd you do that to me? He's a ball hawk. He's a oh. captain. He's going to come with the Joe Judge stamp of approval, which oh. things that I've heard still carries a lot of weight in New England, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, he played on special teams. He can play single high tackles exceptionally well. He had six missed tackles last year. Second fewest according to PFF in the entire league, ascending player, much cheaper than Poyer, much cheaper than Jesse Bates moves around the defense. I think I've just swung my team, you know, over like you you had a big early lead Phil, but you've been like the Celtics the last week or so third quarter, you get comfortable. And here I am with Ty score at six minutes left. Wow. Wow. I'm, I am, I am so mad. (laughs) I'm so mad. This is devastating to me and my team. That was the guy we had eyed. We had him pegged. He was, he was as good a fit 
as there was in this free agent class, but we waited, we waited. We said we could get him later. Who's really going to want him? Joe was in my ear saying he's, he's our guy. He wants to be here. And then he's suddenly he's, he's, he's gone just like that. The rug has been pulled out from under us. Boy, yeah, it's going to take me a second to regroup, but well, yes, you're, for all those reasons you mentioned, he, yeah. he makes so much sense. He's not going to break the bank. They could use him in a variety of different ways. They might lose Devin. They might lose uh Jabril peppers to free agency. Like they're going to want to add a safety at some point here as I was about to. Uh, and, and he feels like the best name to me. Like I would love, I would love Chauncey Gardner Johnson just because I want, I want to watch the trash talk in action. Like I want to, I, I, you know, I'm somebody who doesn't hate to see a training camp fight every once in a while to kind of yeah. break the monotony. Like you're going to get those, I think with Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Uh, I'm just not sure he's all that great in, in coverage. Although he made some phenomenal tackles in that Super Bowl that were like, really kind of eye-opening just throwing his body around in the open field and he's um, a guy too that fits what they have a surplus of right like slot guys tackle well yes. maybe play in the box they need a guy who is single high deep has the range like Devin and Julian Love really I mean we talk about Jesse Bates who can do a little bit of that Jordan Boyer a little less so because of how much too high they play in Buffalo but it's Julian Love really fits this in so many different ways like you talked about not to rub it in further but 80 tackles he had a sack last year a couple of picks you know, he's, he's just there and he's hanging around and that's the exact, <laughs> I need a screenshot of your face with folks on YouTube because you are really peeved. Yeah. Such garbage. It's like, you know, it's a classic. <laughs> it's just the classic fantasy football. Like you had a guy yeah. in your queue yeah. and then your buddy takes him right before we've all been there. Hey, at least you there. got Yannick and Gakpa. I mean, you know, get, I did get Yannick. I did get Yannick. I do. I have one more pick. I think I have yeah, one more. We had last pick. Okay. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Boy, but now my my board has been shaken up. I'm really not sure what to do here. Um, is the clock going to run out on you like the uh, famous 2003 Minnesota Vikings in the so first here's, round? No, no, the clock's not going to run out. We Neither of us has taken a receiver, which the people at home are probably like, what's going on? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know, because I'm yes. sure Andrew's spoken about it, the receiver free agent class is garbage outside of, you know, Jacoby Myers. And we've been told that we're not going to be talking about current Patriots free agents. Juju Smith-Schuster, I guess you can make an argument, is somebody who still has some value. Odell Beckham, if you want to go there, which I'm not, um, could intrigue some folks. This, I'm going to make a pick that's probably not all that realistic uh, mm -hmm. because I do think he's going to make – he's not going to make top end at his position, but he's going to make more than the Patriots are going to want to spend at this position. I think it would be a lot of fun to get Tony Pollard in here to be your Whoa. third down back. So you need that position filled. I don't think it's pure strong. Uh, maybe they will prove me wrong this off season and they will hand him that job. Maybe Ty Montgomery will come back and be healthy. And maybe that will be his job. Although, you know, we're talking about guys that are closer to the end than the beginning. He would certainly fall into that category. Pollard to me is, is been the best back for, for the Cowboys for, multiple years now like like 
he and he gives them something that they don't have. And you could probably find that in the draft and I get it. And you find it much cheaper, but they've also shown this reluctance uh, to play rookie backs, especially in that role. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to go another, you're going to draft one great, but then you're going to go another full season without a true third down back on your roster. And you're going to maybe depend on Ty Montgomery staying healthy. I'm be, I'd be willing to pay the, you know, if it's short term, give the guy 9 million bucks or, or thereabouts to get uh, Tony Pollard onto your roster and shore up what's a critical position, not only in the Patriots offense, but specifically the Bill O'Brien offense. And that Mac Jones would, uh, I assume, really love to use based on his playing style. So I appreciate that you took the responsibility and reason that we brought back in the conversation and went up a couple floors, threw it out from another window with Tony Pollard conversation, (laughs) because it's a great punctuation. Like, of course, I'm going to tweet out our teams when this is done along with the episode and say who likes what teams better. And when people get to Tony Pollard, Oh my God, like it doesn't matter what we think of Mac. Now we can run the ball with Tony. We can run it with Ramondre Stevenson. This new offensive line is going to pave all the room in the world. Let's throw Lamar Jackson back in there. And then they're going to go over to my fifth pick, which to be honest, I was, I was debating between old friend Jermaine Illuminor. If we want to double up (laughs) on the tackles, it was just God bless him for having a career year. I'm not winning anyone over except for his wife uh, or girlfriend or partner or whatever uh, with that pick. So sorry, Jermaine. Though he would have filled a great need, right? Tackled some depth, some guard, whatever you need. Samson Ekubam was another, or Ebukam. I always flip yep. that. Yep. 49ers, Rams pass rusher, only 27. 77. 7-7 seven, seven pressures the last two seasons. He stood up in a three-point stance with LA before going to the Niners. People don't know him. He's only played on the West Coast. So I'm going to... I'm going to follow your lead here with a name that's not as big as Tony Pollard. It's the same position, same role. Samaji Pivrine, come on down. Third okay. down back, has okay. not fumbled since 2017. He had 394 rushing yards last season, uh, 38 catches for 287 more yards, four touchdowns, exceptional pass protector. I think you put him in there. If Pierre Strong develops, great. If Kevin Harris comes along, great. If they don't, not a problem. Tom Montgomery's there. Ty Montgomery's not changing my life. And to be honest, Phil, I forgot about when I was going through this and saying third down back <laughs> because we just didn't see him after right. week one. Right. So I don't want to count on him at this point. I think he could still contribute, be a core special teams player. But Samaji P. Ryan is going to round out my five-person class here in the free agency draft, the first annual. And uh, we, I, you're right. It really got fun once we knocked off all the big names at the top. Yeah, once you start digging deep and like I was about to say, start going for like the bargain basement deals, but I'm looking <laughs> at my team right now and I'm giving away like record setting amounts of guaranteed money. Like this is the 2021 yeah. uh, off season or 2020. Yeah, 2021 off season all over again, um, because McGlinchey, you know, that's going to be a big old guaranteed number. Jamel Dean, big old guaranteed number, maybe the best. Uh, player at that position, premium position this year's draft class or free agent class. I'm giving a running back to you know 10 million guarantee. Bro. Like I'm, I am money yeah. bucks. You're at the club. Money bucks bill. Money bucks bill this off season. And hey, maybe he'll get the sign off from his owner because uh, ownership they want to win some games this year too. So they're not. Uh, I don't think they're looking to be the the most uh, financially responsible. I don't think they're looking for that award this off season. I think they're trying to win next year. And I, I think, uh, I think both of our teams are going to accomplish that goal. I'm biased. I think my team gets us more, mm. but I think they're both getting us closer. Yeah. I, uh, I, the craft note is interesting because I think if there's anything we've seen this off season, they are more front and center than they have been. And I don't know how long, which, you know, two losing seasons in three years would necessitate that. 
But I think if they want to put their money where their mouth has been, uh, relatively speaking, certainly not compared to other owners, spend more in free agency. Jump in. Sign at least one of our top four players. And the draft went like this for you. As you said, Mike McGlinchey, Jamel Dean, Dalvin Tomlinson, Yannick Ngakwe, and Tony Pollard. For me, for me, oh, I, that's just the appetizer, Phil. Juwan Taylor, Jaguars right tackle, Tremaine Edmonds, Bills linebacker, James Bradbury, uh, forever number two corner of the Eagles, Julian Love is going to steal all our hearts in training camp, and Samaji P. Ryan, just solid, unspectacular, but just gets the job done. Excellent pass catcher and, and pass protector. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those names. Of course, the big wrench or question now is to come back to Jacoby Myers and Jonathan Jones. Say we're redoing this draft, and they're in your original, your big board. McGlinchey, Taylor, then Dean, then Edmonds, then Tomlinson, then Bradbury. How far down do we get before you throw in? I would assume Jacoby Myers goes first. Yeah, I'm put. I'm slotting him in as my second pick if mm-hmm. if um, if he's part of this draft. Because while I I, I love Jamel Dean, I, it's a deep corner draft class. Yes. factoring in depth of positions in this year's draft when I'm figuring out how to attack free agency, you know, like it's very clear. You're not getting receiver help outside of Jacoby Myers in, in free agency. So uh, I would make him a priority, not necessarily the priority, but I make him a priority. And then I would double down and I'd try to add another player in the draft at that position because, and, and early, because I think at corner, not that you're getting a Jamel Dean type of player ready to go in 2023, but I think in the second or third round, you could find somebody who can play, you know, somebody right. with some size, with some athleticism. We've seen the Patriots turn undrafted rookies, never mind, you know, mid-round picks into starting caliber players. So I would trust them to do that, right, uh, especially at that position versus receiver. I, I I don't know how they could trust themselves to do that, right? So I would be willing to um, make the expense both in free agency and in the draft and invest highly to try to reduce my, my risk at that spot, because I think it's so important that you, that you add to it, that you upgrade uh, this off season. So Jacoby would be second for me. Would he be first for you? He would not have been first. He would have been okay. um, third or fourth. Like I, okay. I only had the one tackle at the top. Jamel Dean was ahead of him. Cause I just think he's a slightly better player than Jacoby Myers and baked into my decision-making was just, I think they need to go the trade route, which unfortunately for them, that's another market that's shrinking, like the upcoming draft class of receiver, like the free agents that we just talked about. Keenan Allen just restructured today. He's staying in L.A. Uh, Duke Tobin did everything but give reporters, you know, double birds at the combine when they asked about T. Higgins going, I'm not I'm not giving away T. Higgins. What are you talking about? You find uh, your so, own receivers. He's like a kid <laughs> on the playground. Find your own at yeah. Bill B at Patriots.com. Yeah. Um, but it's just – it's uh, – it's difficult. So I think Jacoby has to be up there. And you know what? It's it's not a consolation prize the way that my tone is conveying that right now, right? Like 26-year-old kid was a quarterback just six years ago, learned this position on the fly, performed well enough in his first NFL training camp to get a job, catch pass, passes from Tom Brady and the rating Super Bowl champs, and has been their leading receiver ever since that season. So his best football is ahead. I just am very concerned that even for a guy who wants to come back, just prices out the Patriots. And so they look at this position as obviously um, of less value, in my opinion, than other teams around the league because they see it as pass catchers, okay? We have tight ends. We have running backs we can and often throw to. So we don't need to go all in. I just go, without Jacoby, you're down to one guy under contract after next season, and your number one and number two are Kedrick Bourne and Devontae Parker? That's where it's that's where it gets scary. I mean, what's, what's truly scary is – 
you know, we're both sitting here saying they might want to value bringing Jacoby Myers back, but even that's not enough. I mean, you've, you've got to, you've got to do more even on top of that to get to where you want to be in terms of contention uh, because you, you've got to be an elite offense to truly contend. And if you jettison Myers and say you draft, even if you draft Jackson Smith and Jigba at 14 overall, like that's a, that's an upgrade in my opinion, but it, is that enough? You know, if you get both guys or if you get Myers and Quentin Johnson because you feel like those skill sets are a little bit more complementary, you know, now maybe you're talking, but, um, you know, I'm with you. Like, if they could figure out a way to make a trade work, you know, I'm 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 warming up to more and more as time goes on here, the idea of, of DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. He's not what he was. He's lost a step. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm of the belief that uh, there are many – front offices around the league that uh, would tell you the same thing, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't be an upgrade if he were to come to new England and that he wouldn't be worth it. If it's a second round pick. And essentially now you're going year to year with a guy uh, who I don't believe has any more guaranteed money on his contract, but has, you know, a $19 million base salary for 2023. And he's open Um, to restructuring. He said that yesterday, you know, I'm flexible in the last two years of his deal, not to mention a player who's never really won as a burner though. At some point you need like a threshold to cross with your speed. He's a contested catch guy and has been. But right. 11 years in the league or 10 or whatever it's been is, is still a lot. So I, w- I would be open to, you know, if you if you uh, if you feel like you can make it work using that second round pick and sending that thing off and saying we need DeAndre Hopkins because we need something different at this position. And if that means losing Jacoby Myers, unfortunately, because, you know, I think he's he's great for them. I think he's great for their locker room. I think he's. deserving of a of a big deal because of what it means for the for your team and your culture and your program like to be able to point to guys like julian edelman over the years and say hey and not that edelman ever was making top receiver money but you know hey if you guys do all the right things you could be you could be a seventh round pick you could be undrafted you could be and you'll get rewarded here and you can just be that shining example for for others in the room that this is this is what's valued here. If I do what Jacoby does, if I'm more like Jacoby, then I'll get to where I want to be individually and the team will be better off too. Mm-hmm. You know, if you let those guys leave, you know, eventually that culture thing that you value so highly, and we can debate how much it actually matters. They they think it matters. Yeah. And th- those are the kinds of guys that, you know, the John Joneses and the Jacoby Myers that you that you really should work to keep around, I think, if that if that really does matter to you. The other thing to weigh in the Hopkins conversation and some of these free agents, you know, for people I've talked to and around the team is that you sign a guy who suddenly makes the most money on the team. That matters. That matters in the locker room. It matters how he acts. If you can't guarantee how he's going to conduct his business and reinforce Bill's message, that's something they're just not going to go for. Like Judon was a little bit of a gamble initially. And I'm sure they did their intel and they're close to the people in Baltimore and all that, but he became the highest paid defender ever, highest paid on the team. And, you know, accepted his role and has introduced a fun new edge to that locker room. But, you know, not a captain. And if something goes wrong with someone like Orlando Brown, who held out just to play left tackle in Baltimore and got traded and now soon might be on his third new team in the last five years, I don't think that's a player that they're invested in to the degree that he wants them to be invested. Jacoby, of course, is a guy who's going to do all of those things and more. And Devin McCourty told us was a de facto captain. So, you know, whether it's Orlando Brown or Jacoby or Tremaine Edmonds, like, that character culture part absolutely factors in. Um, we haven't talked about Jonathan Jones real quick, and then let's do our two predictions. Where would he have slotted on your board had we included them? Yeah, that's a great one. I feel like um, 
it's funny because I'll 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 save it. Uh, I just feel like even though they're they're trying, <laughs> it looks like they tried to replace him with the Marcus Jones pick last year. In my opinion, yes, yeah, he's undersized slot corner, great speed, special teams guy. Um, can play safety. Can play, yeah, a little bit moonlight, moonlight. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, even though I feel that way, I also feel like they're that he's going to somehow end up back in New England. So those are two competing thoughts that are going on in my head at the same time. Uh, he would have slotted in. He probably would have slotted in fourth, uh, fourth or fifth for me. No, again though, like I think if the if the character piece matters to you, that's somebody that that matters. And if we were being more realistic in terms of like the expenses and stuff, like would you rather have Jonathan Jones for six and a half? a year or whatever it's going to take to get him seven. You know, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be, uh, you know, close to 10. I've seen um, some sort of varying projections on him. We also got that report from Ian Rappaport, our buddy that he would not be making the $18 million franchise tag in 2023. I'm really glad he didn't clear that up. Talk about knock you off your feet. Um, I felt like this, I had the same reaction uh, that I did when you took Julian love in our draft here that I, uh, <laughs> when I saw that report, um. Uh. So yeah, I don't know. He he would have slotted in probably fourth or fifth. I just, where does he play? That that's the thing to me because I don't think he's an outside guy. He can do it if you need him to. Uh, he's a slot guy, but they have now. You have Marcus Jones. Is he? You know, are you not thinking that he's a starting caliber player on the inside? If so, that's fine. How are you going to use him? Can he play safety? I've I'm of the mind that if Devin leaves. Jonathan Jones should be considered to play safety because he brings everything to the table that you want at that position, which is um, an understanding of how the entire defense works. He played Mm -hmm. every position in the secondary. He can be the quarterback of your defense from back there because of what's going on between his ears. Can Jalen Mills do that? I don't think so. I I just, I don't know why you would feel that way. He just doesn't have the experience in the defense. He hasn't played every position in the defense the way Jonathan Jones has. He's got a varied background. He played a lot of different spots in Philly, but he's a good tackler. He's tough. You know, he's, he's on the field, generally speaking. Um, Guys respect him. So if there's anybody that's on the roster right now to replace Devin McCourty, in my opinion, it should be Jonathan Jones, but I don't know if the Patriots see him that way. So I, I just have him a little bit farther down my list than Myers. The interesting part about the Patriots in-house free agents to me, you know, outside of the fact that Jacoby plays a position to need a receiver, Jonathan Jones, if he leaves, plays a position that will be of dire need at corner, is that they both kind of fit in a larger conversation of do the Patriots want to run it back? Because in people that I've talked to, there's a sense of the offense was so screwed up, so fundamentally broken, and just everything was so bad that we should get another win or two just by virtue of having Bill O'Brien in the building. And it's as much, you know, Bill O'Brien's experience in being a good coach is just, we're not going to do that. So is the roster good enough to compete then if you just run it back with these guys? Or do you look at, okay, there's a difference between being out of the playoffs and competing and then contending. And what do you really want to do? Because the window for Mac Jones's rookie contract is shrinking. And that matters. The last five Super Bowls have all had a quarterback on a rookie contract. So Jonathan Jones is a really good player. Kobe Myers is a really good player. I think they both also fit in the, what I've said many times and wrote about this week, the friend zone with league evaluators. You like them. You just don't love them. They don't change your life. You could get the best of Jacoby Myers. I think whoever signs him next will, but 
I think they also need to make a fundamental change if they want to make that leap, not only just from missing the playoffs to competing. If you want to get to contention, a swing, even with the risk of like a DeAndre Hopkins or another player on defense like a Tremaine Edmonds, because they're just still not players in the roster. If you bring them back, that scare you as an opponent. And that's the Patriots issue. This is a team that wins by not losing. The teams that are winning the most are winning because they don't lose and they make jumps with exceptional winning plays that put them over the top in the championship games in the Super Bowl. You look at this roster, if you bring them both back, which would eat up a lot of money, and go, who's doing that for us? And I don't think you have an answer. What's really interesting uh, about something you just said there was, it was all interesting. Don't get me wrong. It was all interesting. Thank you. But, Thank you. You're, but you're right. I mean, and they're very open about the fact that they, they win by not losing. There are other teams that don't take that approach, that are willing to take the big swings. It's almost like the modern, you know, modern day game of baseball. They're, these teams are willing to swing for the fences and they've gotten so good at hitting so, you know, relatively frequently on those big swings, whether it's in the off season in terms of who they acquire or in game in terms of how they play the game. That even if they make quote unquote losing plays, the good ones at least, they can make up for and then some those losing plays by what they do because of their aggressiveness. And that's just not who the Patriots are. And, and so maybe the point you're getting at with the friend zone thing with these two guys is that the Patriots, because these guys are going to, and I listen, the, uh, the end of the Raiders game, notwithstanding, like these two guys for the most part are going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Is that enough? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it enough to do the right thing or do you need, to swap out some of those guys for game-breaking types of players who may occasionally screw up. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think you look at the teams that were in the Super Bowl last year, start with Philly and their roster building, like A.J. Brown trading him for first-round pick, big swing there, all the stuff they did in free agency. Like, they've got some cojones down on South Street, okay? Like, they're, yeah. they, they're taking big swings, and they've had big flops, to you know, the year before Nick Sirianni, um, you know, came aboard, was miserable. So there's part of that. But you also think about... What does a holding penalty mean to Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs offense? It's a speed bump. I don't matter. care. Yeah. Now, Patrick Mahomes might finish as, you know, the second greatest or greatest quarterback of all time. I don't know. We can't compare that to the Patriots situation. But a holding penalty last year for New England was a death sentence to that drive. It was over. Because, again, they're making plays incrementally, and they tried to adjust that, and you draft Tyquan Thornton, and we'll take Pierre Strong, who also had the fastest 40 at the combine. They don't develop. It doesn't matter. And if you're 50-50 ball to Devontae Parker, there's a miscommunication as there were like a half dozen between him and Mac, even in those first three weeks alone, it doesn't matter. So it's just, it's interesting how much they view themselves as how close are we, what matters to us, and what are we willing to risk to get there? Because the reason they're at eight and nine was hubris in the first place. And now how much of that will spill over into the roster building where if they sit out the first two days, all the game breakers are gone in free agency. I would say the danger of the only drawback potentially to signing Bill O'Brien to be your offensive coordinator is thinking that that's all you needed to do. Yeah. Right. We swap these guys out. We put this guy in poof. Not only are we a playoff team, but we're a contending playoff team because to me, that's not enough. And, and maybe, maybe Bill O'Brien, ironically enough, who, who's supposed to save the deal uh, is, is the one voice in the room who says, Hey guys, I'm not enough <laughs> when they go into their off season meetings. I, I know I'm going to improve this thing and I'm confident in my abilities, but we've got to go get somebody who can change the game for us offensively. 
that would be really, you know, obviously any year it would be uh, it would be tremendous to be a fly on the wall, but especially this off season as they, they should understand that there needs to be dramatic improvements made, not just to the sidelines, but also to the talent level um, in that offensive huddle. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'll say this about Bill O'Brien, and then I know there are people who are just rolling their eyes at us being like, guys, this is great, but get to your freaking predictions. This was in the headline of the, the episode. Let's <laughs> get to it. And that's my fault. Bill O'Brien, from people I've talked to, has very much made his presence felt inside that building already in in the in the exact way you would think. Red-faced, pretty loud, you know, asserting control of the offense. And I think that's welcome. It's also going to be kind of a wake-up call for some people who forgot what it was like when Bill O'Brien was here. And also, you know, 11 years or whatever it's been since he was last year's offense coordinator, a lot can happen, a lot can change. So he's not the same, you know, player, not player person, coach he was back then. Um, but yes, Bill O'Brien is very involved and uh, having things his way so far in Foxborough. So, all right, I'm going to go first with my predictions. We just talked about Jacoby Myers. I think he's, I think he's coming back. And it's, it's some, it's a part about the value the Patriots have. I think the league wide stuff that I just talked about, I think you'll have a ton of interest from Houston places like Atlanta, not hard reporting here, but just it's easy enough to draw out those lines, Chicago possibly, but they also go, we can buy some time. We can draft a receiver. We don't have the history of the Patriots do at that position. I think he comes back and I think Jonathan Jones is ultimately gone. So, I think Jonathan Jones is going to be back. I, I think uh, th- that's just a, a sense that I get. From a 12-minute um, exclusive interview on television. <laughs> we did do an exclusive interview with him on TV. He uh, he was not that forthcoming, but I think the willingness to be here is, is real. It's big. On his end. And when you're at his point in life and at his point in his career – not saying that he's ever made the big money contract. He hasn't, which is why, you know, it would be, it would be reasonable to argue that he should chase every last dollar. But I think consistency matters. Uh, Understanding your situation, your coaching staff, your teammates, the program, picking up and moving at this stage uh, for somebody like Jonathan Jones, who's wired the way he is, I I think might be difficult. So I think he's going to be back. Let me say as you think really quickly, I, I don't feel so firmly about that. Like, yes, it was the first part or part of the first prediction I had. If you flip that, Jacoby's gone because he outprices his market. Jonathan Jones comes back because he says, forget six or seven million. I'll take five or four and a half. I could absolutely see that. It's just, I don't think they'll both be back. And if I had to put my money on 51% confidence goes to Jacoby. I'm going to go the other way and I'll say okay. 49, 49% uh, that let me let me reword that. Now I sound like we just did a. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blame this on me. This isn't my fault, Andrew. We talked to Rob Gronkowski earlier today, and uh, <laughs> when you when you get influenced by the the, the goings on uh, of that man's brain, you know yeah. the math can get real fuzzy at times. So I'm not gonna do percentages. Sure. I just think 
Uh, I'm leaning slightly toward Myers not being back. I think there are enough Patriots-minded front offices around the league, whereas most of the league will look at Jacoby Myers and say, nice player, nice number two, limited ceiling, will block for us, certain things that we love, but you know we're only going to go so far. Somebody like the Texans is trying to build a program, build a culture. You know, I think they may offer him a little bit more than what the Patriots would be willing. And I would also say this. I think there's going to be a difficult choice that the Patriots have to make about, again, do we like DeAndre Hopkins for $19 million for one year or two years or less than that if he's willing to restructure? Or do we want Jacoby for four at 15? Yeah. You know, like that's the exact math that they're doing. Well, how much could be the real conversation? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And so I could see them and I could see Bill leaning, you know, as much as he likes Jacoby Myers, I'm sure he didn't like him enough to draft him. He didn't like him enough to, to, to play him over Nikhil Harry. Uh, even after a full season of the Nikhil Harry experience early uh-huh. in year two for both of those guys, when Myers had uh, had shown some things uh, and he's still having a hard time getting on the field. Like I, I just think fair or not. And in this case, I would say unfair <laughs> yes. uh, how these guys are brought into the league uh, is, is at times held against them. So I would go kind of the opposite way of you, I guess on both those guys, although who the hell knows? I just, yeah, I, I, I had said that last week on TV and I had thought about it more. And then hearing Jonathan's comments were even to Karen, you know, about like, it's hard to say no to New England. And I'm like, God, I just, I think there's use for him in places like Baltimore. You talk about reinforcing a culture. Vegas will have some money. Houston too. Like we can't have all young guys. You need an adult in the room to set the culture and, you know, bring to life all these different things, even if they're playing a different style under D'Amico Ryan's. But again, I, you know, for for a first prediction, things we we think are going to happen. I thought it was appropriate since we didn't cover them in the first draft to to leave with those guys. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I think the more definitive thing is both are not going to be back. That that's what I feel most firmly about. Pick whatever one. That's fine. My second prediction: the Patriots will make not one but two trades over the next four weeks, and I do not think I will be very surprised if it is the DeAndre Hopkins deal we've all been talking about. Um, but they have a history of doing this, even smaller moves here and there. I think they realize that the market in free agency in the draft does not exactly align with their needs. So what do you do then? Pick swap deals after free agency, who missed, who could we trade, whatever it might be, because they know their window's upcoming. There's an urgency here. And I think they'll make some deals here uh, of like a mid, mid-tier kind of kind of kind of trade. Any uh any names like that would fit the mid-tier? Like what's a mid-tier name? Well, not I saying think that we're you're saying this is gonna happen, but just as an example. Yeah, for instance. So- I'll give you a type of player, not a player specifically, but I think, you know, when you throw out Tony, Tony Pollard and I had to step back just from the shockwaves of that decision with the fifth pick. And I look at someone like Samaji P Ryan, you know, who plays for a team and he's going to leave him for agency and probably not resign with the Bengals. But like, if he does, if he leaves the Bengals, the Bengals are going to be fine. And so if the Patriots picked up the phone and called for, you know, a mid-level veteran who the Patriots see, you know, it was Kyle Van Noy once upon a time, all these different guys, Jason McCourty, even Danny Shelton. Like, we can get more value out of him than the other team can. It could be a lower-level receiver. Like, I, I looked in for agency to someone like Paris Campbell. And, like, coming off a career year, maybe finally put it together, great traits, all this and that. Like, I just – I think they would make a trade for someone a little bit better than Paris Campbell. Um, how, about Bra- how about Brandon Cooks? I told Trenny I was out on Cooks. 
And I, I just, I can't go back on Trenny. So I, uh, I just, that's the, the concussions concerns. I don't think he fits the system quite as well. There's a reason he's been passed around. Like, you know what? Uh, and it just, it just doesn't change my life at this point. You know, if you're an offense, like, again, what we're talking about, I'm in favor of not fundamental change, but like real fresh new blood. Things are going to be different. This guy attracts attention, keeps defensive coordinators up at night, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hooks is just on the outside of the conversation. But maybe it happens anyway. That, but th- but now you're talking about when you're talking about changing, like mid tier. Yeah, that, I mean, is that mid tier? Is that if 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 yeah, I, me, I suppose Cooks is still slightly above mid tier. Yeah, yeah, he would fit in the conversation, I suppose. Okay, I think for okay. me personally, I wouldn't do it. That's that's but, a bad way to put it. But you're looking for something better than say like a um, and they've done deals with this team recently uh, on draft weekend. Uh, the New York Jets, like, would they be willing to give away a pick for, you know, this guy, I would say is not mid tier, he would be below that. Uh, but I actually really liked him coming out of the draft Denzel Mims, Mims. like, is is he available? Could you get him for a, a day three pick or a or pick swap kind of thing? And see if you can just get something out of him because he's, he does have some pretty legitimate physical talent. It just hasn't come together for him at all in New York. Yeah, I think that's a good profile. And look, if I had names of, you know, players Patriots have called about to trade, like you'd be reading about it at bostonherald.com. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm coming from. People are disappointed why I don't have names. But I think that profile and conversations I've had leads me to believe they want to be active. If free agency doesn't play out the way that they want to, they're still going to be seeking answers as opposed to just resting on their laurels, even if, again, there would be shock inside and outside if the, the, the Hopkins trade happened. So that's where I'm at. Love it. Love it. Um, so now, now I need a prediction too, is what you're telling me? Yeah, second prediction. Uh, my second prediction is I just really I think they're gonna I think they're going to sign a a starting tackle. I, I don't think it's it's not it's not, you know, I know that was the at the top of both of our lists. I think we're I think we're on the money there. I, I feel yeah. I feel good about the fact that they will get one of these guys. It's not a horrible class. It, it There's enough there in terms of depth that it's not like there's going to be, you know, 10 teams vying for the services of one guy who's, who's just a relatively mediocre veteran. Like it's not one of those years at that position, lucky for them. Um, and I don't think they want to be now they were in this position back in 2018, but do you want to do this again when Tom Brady's not your quarterback where you're, you're going into the draft without a left tackle. Like they did that in 2018 and they, and they got Isaiah win and they, you know, my guess is they thought he was going to start for them. Well, they traded that, for Trent Brown on what was it? Day two or day three. That it was did. the next day. So yeah, the next day yeah. they trade for Trent Brown, who I think was sort of, he, he was a reclamation project. They didn't, I don't think they brought him in to be the starter. You know, you spend a first round pick on one guy, you do, you do the pick swap thing for another guy. I believe Trent Brown was a pick swap kind of deal. Yeah. Um, you know, did they know he was going to start right off the bat? Maybe they thought he'd compete for it, but now you had, okay, now you've got three guys. Okay. Like I I'm just not sure that they should be so confident in their ability to compete going into draft weekend naked at that position. Like that's what you are, you know, Connor McDermott's fine and, and they're going to bring him back, but is he, he's a, he's a, he's an okay third tackle. He's a great fourth tackle. Like I'm yeah. totally good with him as a fourth tackle. If he's got to be your swing guy, he's got to be your swing guy. He can't be your starter. I'm sorry. He's just, he, he's not that kind of player. So uh, avoid it in the draft, even though there are some promising guys there, 
go in free agency, get the starting tackle. I think Bill Belichick would be okay with that. It just hit me that like you're you're rolling on a Friday or Saturday night with your crew, probably rolling like what four or five, maybe six deep. If your offensive tackles, your two starters are great, your your top two guys in that crew are good. It's going to be a good night. If you're like a number three swing guy, it's like, yeah, we could probably survive without a number three guy. But when you call Connor McDermott, like a good number four, like he's a great fringe guy on the group on your night plans. If he doesn't make it, like you'll be fine. It's just, it's not a backhanded compliment, but it's exactly what he was because, you know, Bill says, oh, thank God Connor McDermott's here. Like, I I think he's a good player to have on the roster. Can't body some competition. Give him a full year in New England. See what happens. Maybe he is your swing tackle. Um, but, you know, I'd rather have a third solid guy when I'm going out, you know, so the conversation doesn't die. And I think when someone goes to the bathroom and I'm hanging there with Connor McDermott, we're probably hitting the weather. We're talking about, you know, what he's doing next weekend. Like, I don't know. And just kind of waiting it out. So um, it's hard to say no disrespect after comparing Connor McDermott to that. But it's more of a large, largely conversation about roster building and the placement of offensive tackles. So. Uh, let's move on. Let's do some mailbag. All right. We'll get you out of here. Cause I've tried to prolong this as long as I could. I wanted to break, make history here with baby on the Pats interference podcast. Oh uh, yeah. All no, right. No history today. I'm looking at my text right now. No history. We're good. Oh, We're good. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so this is from Gary. This was from last week. I didn't get to him. Promise that we would answer this week. It's a good question. Well, if defensive back offensive tackle wide receiver are the quote unquote favorites, what are the most likely sleeper positions the Patriots could target in the first round of the draft? First round of the draft? First round sleeper of the draft. position. Um, I would say, how about can we go inside linebacker? That's as sleepy as it gets. I'm not kidding about Jack Campbell. Like I could totally foresee not a 14, because I think even Bill Belichick, as he did with uh, as he did with uh, Cole Strange last year, I think even he would acknowledge, okay, it's probably a little too high for this guy. Yeah. But let's get down to the bottom of the first round. And take this guy who's 250 pounds. He's a 9-7, whatever he is, RAS score from our guy, Kent Lee Platt. Like, he's he is the prototype at that position for the Patriots. Uh, so I could I could see that. I think Bill values that position still. If he finds a smart guy there uh that he thinks could be there long term, that's that's as sleepy as it gets. Like I'm trying to think of another one. I don't think there's a safety that they would want in the first round um, this no, year. No, no, no. Like, so. No, I, I think he hit the nail on the head with the, the favorites. And then I guess my sleeper, I'd go linebacker. So <laughs> just, it's, it's it's a horrible, it's like, by the way, it's a horrible linebacker class. Yeah. So if you want to get Jack Campbell, you might have to, you might have to overextend. I think they're, I think they're moving back. Um, which isn't to say anything groundbreaking, though, and this will be a tease for future podcast episodes and probably mock drafts. The further I see Darnell Wright out of Tennessee climb up some boards, Daniel Jeremiah, I think, had him in his top 25. Jack Campbell also cracked Daniel Jeremiah's top 50, so we have to talk about him next time he's on the next Pats podcast. Um, I just I think they'll trade back. Tight end is the one I have my eye on because this Ooh. is the alignment of the talent at that position, right. It's yes. not necessarily a need now, but if you're looking at John o. Smith, you're looking at a guy that has not cracked 300 yards receiving in New England yet over two seasons. And we could talk about his usage and we could talk about his you know availability or whatever you want to do. The bottom line is if you're a player with that contract, you should get 300 yards and be able to do it. And it just doesn't happen. So I think because they're stuck with the contract, 
you just draft someone and hope he's your number two. So Michael Mayer to Notre Dame. I think there are a lot of like late first round, early second guys I could look at. Dalton Kincaid is more of a move tight end, but that's a position that aligns. 14 would be a little rich, but if they do trade back, that's a way to impact your offense from a running standpoint and obviously uh, passing the ball. And and if if they do that and they trade back, how do they not do it for Darnell Washington? Six yes. seven. 265 pounds the third fastest short shuttle in the entire combine across positions 408 short shuttle i mean he's he's that's the definition of doesn't grow on trees like bill belichick will will talk to us till he's blue in the face about well we went this guy you know there's not many guys that are 350 pounds that you know can move the way this guy moves like that's darnell washington there's he's he's a he's a rare rare specimen uh, you know, went to Georgia, massive hand, like he'll block in the run game. Hey, Andrew, you go and you get Jawan Taylor in free agency. You know who to plop right next to him in the run game. If you want to move people in the run game, yes. put Darnell Washington right next to Jawan Taylor. Now you've got the best of both worlds. Now he can move some people on first and second down. And on third down, you let him do his thing in pass protection. Like, man, I, I could see them. I love that. Actually, that that's a great call by you tight end. And especially if it ends up being Washington, like that would make all the sense in the world to me, even though it is, in my opinion, sort of a sleeper position in the first round. We're cooking with gas, baby. Um, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Uh, This is from Boston Empire 247. More realistic McCourty replacement, Jesse Bates, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. We could only pray for the training camp stories or draft (laughs) pick. Oh, I, I, I'm not sure they would want any of those baits because of the money Gardner Johnson, because of the, uh, the, the redundancy and skill set that you mentioned earlier and probably the attitude like I, you know, yeah. I think it's good at some spots. Do you want that guy being again, that, that's the quarterback, of your defense. Do you want that kind of mindset um, from the quarterback, of your defense replacing that guy, Devin McCourty or draft pick? I mean, I, the reason I'm leaning draft pick here not only because of the negatives of the other two, but because uh, there are a couple safeties from Illinois that were coached by Bill Belichick friend, Brett Bielema, that I could see him getting a really good scouting report on. And so somebody like Sidney Brown, who's an elite athlete, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but neither is Devin. Um, Supposed to be a pretty smart guy. Uh, He's Canadian. So, you know, he's good in the huddle. He's probably good in the room. He's probably probably just a great person to be around. Um, so Sydney Brown as the Devin McCourty replacement, I would go as the most realistic of those three. Yeah. I, I like draft pick too. And it's almost like process of elimination, but I think again, right. if you're looking at aging veteran, perhaps last year was contract, how do you replace those guys? You draft them a year ahead of time, let them develop, see what you got. And if you whiff, then sign someone to free agency or take another stab in the draft. So yeah, I think it's a draft, uh, draft pick that replaces McCourty. If not Jonathan Jones, who I hadn't considered, as you mentioned, as possible transition late in his career, but the trouble is the draft class isn't so great at safety. It's it's similar to receiver, but honestly a little bit worse, uh, or even linebacker for that matter. Jair Brown from Penn State, um, his defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, came to visit at minicamp. I remember I spoke with Bill a bunch of different times. Jordan Battles, an Alabama kid. Again, I think you're trying to find the single high player, and there just aren't that many in college football anymore because the hashes are so wide and, you know, you need a safety. You really need two back there most of the time to, to combat what have become obviously really prolific passing attacks. But he's both of those guys have played some single high. Uh, I do like Sidney Brown because I was all over Kirby Joseph. 
this is another guy. Like he's not getting caught in the practice squad and landing in Chicago or Minnesota. I'm like, oh, that's a guy I wanted the Patriots to take. Like he's a stud in Detroit and uh, someone who could have been in New England. So, all right, take the lead on this one too, because this one mentions you. This is from Matthew on Twitter. Uh, Phil had mentioned a name to watch for is Mingo from Ole Miss, a receiver. Uh, he tested pretty well in Indy. Any word if the team had a formal meeting? And if not, what are the other day two or day three receivers that they met with? So I'll tell you, I I wasn't there during the day the receiver spoke. I think we report on them because you want to be able to, you know, um, kind of piece the story back together whenever a player is drafted. Oh, they met at the combine. But in and of itself doesn't mean a whole lot. So that said, day two or day three receivers, who do you like there uh, besides Mingo? Yeah, it's a great point by you on the meetings, just the meetings in general, even sometimes the top 30 visits, you know, and those, yeah. you know, they're noteworthy, no question. But it doesn't always mean that they love the guy. It means they're they're trying to find answers. You know, they they want to spend some time. Sometimes it's it's maybe deception related, you know, like so they meet with everybody. I think it's fair for us to say, you know, whether it's a formal at the combine or an informal, whether it's a sit down at the senior bowl or whether it's a zoom, it's a, you know, they, they meet with all of these guys. So they're, they will do their due diligence on Jonathan Mingo. I can tell you, you know, I spoke to um, multiple teams, multiple receiver needy teams um, that met with Mingo. And when I asked, so in these conversations, the way I was kind of going about it was, obviously covering the team that I cover, who did you view as, as sort of a Patriots type, you know, who think back on your conversations from the week and especially at the receiver position and tell me who you think kind of fits that suit. And I, and I had two teams bring up to me Mingo's name and it was because he just how he carried himself and how well he understood his offense, which is not an incredibly complicated offense. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But even so there are a lot of uncomplicated offenses in college football where the players who are NFL talents leave those programs and can't describe what their responsibilities were, or what the responsibilities of others were the way that Mingo could. So he, he just stood out, you know, you think smart, tough, competitive, like those are traits that the Patriots are very open about um, promoting and wanting in their room. And he, he fits those. I mean, if you watch some of his highlights, some of his tape, uh, even if you just search his name on Twitter, you can find it. Like he blocks his ass off. He plays special teams. He's six two, two twenty. You know, so he went to Ole Miss. So you get people calling him, um, you know, AJ Brown light. But mm. you know, he's not that kind of talent. But he's but he's kind of a bruiser the way AJ Brown is, um, and had a pretty good Senior Bowl too, which we know the Patriots value. So, um, in terms of others at that position, what you know, what's interesting about the Patriots is. They really, in the past, for a long time, have have drafted nothing but, especially through the first three rounds, nothing but freaky, freaky athletes at the receiver position. So, like, the short shuttle, free cone matters, but, like, they're, they're looking for real speed. They're looking for legitimate physical studs. And there's one name who's probably – he maybe he tested his way into day two. Um, I think he's probably a day three guy. Is Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia, hmm. who was – arguably the best athlete at the combine period. <laughs> um, if you look at, uh, again, to drop math bombs uh, name here, but his relative athletic score, which if you're a fan of the draft, like it's a good way to just sort of gauge how well guys move, especially for their size, because the height and weight gets factored in. He was a perfect 10 out of 10 uh, on 
uh, Math Bombs RAS card. So 6'4", 220, 41-inch vertical, almost an 11-inch broad jump, 4'3", 8", at 220 pounds. Like, even if he can't play receiver, Andrew, like, how does Bill Belichick, if he's available in the in the fourth round, how does he not just draft that guy and say you're going to play every unit on special teams, which he did at college. He played a lot of special teams. And uh, you're going to be a you're going to be a patriot for the next uh, five years. Congratulations, buddy. That's that's the kind of name I could see them. Even if they invest in a receiver really early, I could see them going late with an athletic freak who's going to play a lot of special teams and might develop into something more for your offense. Yeah, it's a great point because at least the clay you have with which to mold there, you know, you have some other possibilities if it doesn't work out. Or guys who have inside outside versatility because of that three cone, you can uncover quickly in the slot. It's I, I thought you were going to go in a different direction, and he fits this mold in that he's got freaky speed. But when you look at Tyquan Thornton pick last year, and we talked about this last time you we were on the pod, it was like the Patriots had a breakup with their entire draft system and went in the opposite direction and wanted something the total opposite. Like, and that went for multiple picks. It wasn't just clowning on Tyquan Thornton, who had one of the slowest three cones, obviously the fastest 40. You know, people talk about his skinny wrist. I don't care about that, but small hands, very slight, <laughs> six two, all this stuff. And they're like, we're not only just taking him in the second round, we are trading up to get him. Right. And so it's difficult to predict. I think they'll probably pull back to what they had done for 20 plus years. And in that mold, if you want day two or day three receivers, again, can't speak to whether they met at the combine. If they take a top 30 visit, I would take note. Um, Josh Downs, North Carolina. A lot of people start to like him as a late. Demario Douglas was a receiver they worked with at the Shrine Bowl at a Liberty. Um, A.T. Perry has been brought up at a Wake Forest. The guy I like is Marvin Mims at Oklahoma because he combines yeah. six nine three cone four three four four speed productive at Oklahoma. You know he's a little slight, but I think there's just something there where you're like he'll hang on the roster. Which again in the third fourth round is you know there's some tools there to develop. If they don't, like he's he's your number four guy in your crew. Like Marvin can hang. He's just his French guy. Yeah, he's right there next to Connor McDermott. He, yeah, he, yeah. He, he would be hidden by Connor McDermott if he happened to be walking behind him. Like he, he would just yeah. be swallowed up by Connor McDermott's shadow. I just, yeah, th- there's so many of these light, light, fast receivers now um, that are hard for me to picture in the Patriots offense. It's just like, when if they had, you know, I guess they had Cooks and they got Philip Dorsett, you know, but even those guys are a little bit heavier than. You know, some of these guys are 175 pounds and it's just, it's just sort of the way the game has gone. And at some point the Patriots will have to adjust and, and deal with what's being provided to them from the college ranks. Uh, but I look at some of these guys and say, man, like, I, especially with bill still at the helm is, is bill really gonna invest it? He did it. He did it with Tyquan Thornton. I get it. it, It's still so hard for me to, God, it's like, but, but I, is that the outlier or is that going to become the norm? Right. You know? So that, that to me is what makes this class interesting because there's so many of those guys. Yeah. And again, not a great class. So they need receivers. It's just, it's the worst time to do that. Um, So who knows? But uh, I think we covered all our bases, man. This was, uh, this was fantastic. Hey, I had a blast. I'm still mad at you for taking Julian Love, um, but I do think I'm so glad that you're gonna you're gonna tweet out the the lineups there because mm. if I were to lose that, I'd just be stunned. I'd be stunned. We do our poll, we do our fan polls every night on NBC Sports Boston on early edition. You know, they scan the QR code. Some of those the results of those polls really really surprise me. So I shouldn't be this confident, but I'm very confident that I'm gonna smoke you in the the results of that poll. Yeah, if it's I a think. Poll. 
I think it'll be closer than that, but like you'll have most of the audience go, Julian, who? How do you See, how do you even thing. say you br- you had the you, you brought the thinking man's approach? Like you, you've got the more realistic group, I would say. <laughs> um, and probably the 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 one that is is got the better chance of coming true. Uh, but unfortunately, Twitter, generally yeah. speaking, not the thinking man's app. Here's the so new poll I, you know, question. Is it what pick did Phil start drinking? Was it Dalvin da- Tomlinson <laughs> or was it Yannick Ngakwe? I just am literally throwing darts at a board here in our podcast studio in uh, NBC yeah. Sports Boston and, and hey man, uh, you're just, hitting names. You're just killing time until the little guy comes. And when he does, I will get him an infant-sized Julian Love Patriot oh, jersey God. to wear to training camp this year, next year. And uh, maybe I'll get one myself because, you know what? Why why shouldn't we match after this? Why draft? not? Why not? Why not? Well, I'll I'll look forward to that. Thanks for having me on the pod, bud. Always fun to talk ball with you. And uh hopefully we can do it again soon. Definitely. Great stuff. Uh find Phil, of course, NBC Sports Boston, Next Pass Podcast. Meanwhile, this podcast, the Pats Interference Podcast, is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at FanDuel.com. It took me long enough to tell you. FanDuel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. Folks, we can bet in Massachusetts. Let's celebrate and let's do it by going to fanduel.com slash Boston for your $200.